Hi, I'm Nina Blasky. Hi, I'm Gary Vitaco Robles, author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe. And we're getting ready to launch a new podcast around Gary's book entitled Marilyn Behind the Icon. And in this episode, this prelude episode, it's from a past uh, interview that we did with the complete panel of investigators that not only consisted of Gary and myself, but also Leslie Kasturowitz, Mary Jane Gray, and April Via Via. And it's an episode in which we debunk the 1982 DNA report, as well as a lot of the medical evidence that's floating out there. So there's a lot here to uncover and review. But Gary, what do you think is the biggest takeaway from this episode and why do you think it's important? Well, we were the first group in the media to really dissect that 641-page report. And so we were looking at the science. We were looking at the pathology records, the toxicology records. We consulted with medical experts. And those who propagate the conspiracy theories surrounding Marilyn's death usually do that from the perspective of a layman's understanding of pathology and medicine. And we went to science. And science gives us facts. And so in light of the science, all of the conspiracy theories tended to fade away and fall apart. So let's give this episode a listen called The Moment of Truth, in which we hear from the entire panel and their take on the investigation of Marilyn Monroe. There's this fixation that no residue from the pills automatically means murder. And um, as we found out in our investigation, we had multiple pathologists saying that that's exactly what we would expect, that, that she lived long enough for the pills to metabolize. So that keeps coming up in these documentaries, as well as Doc, um, the Clemens, the officer, finding no glass at the scene, although there's photographs of a drinking vessel by the by the scene. Let me ask um, you a quick question. Let me and this is for the panel. There seems to be a lot of that going around because there's some pictures you see a glass and some some that you don't. Why is there that misinformation when clearly in some of the photos you do see a a, a glass? Does anybody want to answer that one? Well, I, I believe well, that that Clemens just didn't have accurate information because of the, the photograph that the police took of the nightstand showing the vessel on the floor that was published in the newspaper um, on on August 5th and August 6th. We've got clippings of that. So he just might not have been aware that that information was available to the public and when he was trying to sell his story, uh, maybe he just didn't see it or he didn't even know evidence of it existed. And Leslie, were you about ready to jump in too? I was going to say about, about the same thing, and I think that um, Clemens' role in the investigation is often overestimated um, as well. He was the first responding officer on the scene, but he didn't actually handle the investigation. Yeah, and that's a very good point. So, guys, this is another thing to clear up. There was a glass by her bed. I'm going to say that again. There was a glass by her bed. All right. So, uh, and and Mary Jane, what were one of the other things that you uh, found out as well? And then we'll, we'll bounce back to Gary. That is some of your highlights from that show. Um, well, there was a lot of uh, credence giving 
to the accounts of people who we know have been discredited. And I think that was one of the big sticking points for me is when they're, you know, saying Jeannie Carmen said this or Lionel Grandison said this. And it's it just astounds me that um, these shows don't bother doing any fact checking before they put this stuff out there. Yeah. And one thing I just, you know, it's so interesting when you look back at that, that one rumor about, um, you know, RFK and, and Marilyn having an affair at the apartment of Doheny, you know, if you're going to follow the rumor fact, right, then the rumor fact should be that went JFK and then our RFK, that's really how the rumor goes, right? So how in the world would she be having an affair prior to JFK if it was 1961 that she was at Doheny? So it doesn't make it, that in itself doesn't make make any sense, let alone calling and asking for sleeping pills. Uh, let me just say this, guys. We'll recap this in our what we've accomplished. In, in two months, we already know she was prescribed by Dr. Engelberg 900 pills. 700 of them were sedatives. I don't think the girl needed any sedatives that night, okay? So I say that because it's like, come on, you know, do some of the facts facts checking. Um, uh, And then, Gary, you had uh, some more, too. Well, Mr. Selzman goes on to say that she drank an entire bottle of champagne and took the pills. And, you know, for once and for all, we were able to confront him with the toxicology report, which stated no ethanol. So that just is not based on any medical evidence, which is available to anyone who's willing to look for it. He also made some statements about uh, Dr. Jacobson, known as Dr. Feelgood, prescribing amphetamines to Marilyn. Um, there's really been no evidence of, of that being true. And um, uh, interestingly, Mr. Abbott from the mortuary stated that Noguchi found a needle mark in the armpit which does not appear in the autopsy report or any of the interviews with Noguchi. If, if any mark was found in the armpit, it was likely due to the, to the embalming process. Please and do, not get me, do not get me started on this guy, Alan Abbott, okay? I think out of all, all of the Maryland people that have spread not just rumors but horrific things, to me I look at him and I go, you are a mortician have some credibility here to go and I asked this question I've asked it last year too have has anybody not shaved their legs or had had chipped uh, nails or maybe their their hair color hasn't been completely perfect you know we go back to it Marilyn was a human being the fact that you would go out there you know 50 plus years later and talk about an intimate detail like death like that I, you know I, I, you know me I'm I'm all for fair but this is just unbelievable that this man has any credibility on any show. So I just, uh, you know, I look at somebody like him. When you look at, uh, you know, a mortician's role, would you ever want your loved one, uh, you know, being talked about from a mortician? Oh, my gosh. I just I, I just can't even believe this is the type of people that are going to be on a show like this. I just it's and, and that they're giving them airplay. So anyway, go on. I'll get off my high horse. <laughs> Atrocious. I, I, I agree when people are most you know, vulnerable, when, when they're deceased. And then coming back to like a, a motive for the Kennedys wanting to distance themselves from Marilyn, it, it's repeated that the, the birthday gala for JFK was the final straw. And um, suddenly her appearance um, you know, disturbed the Kennedys when we know that she was invited to perform in the manner in which she did. And we know um, through photographs of the rehearsal that all of the moves 
um, the way she sang and the gestures that she made was all scripted. And um, she was delivering exactly what uh, the Democratic fundraiser was hoping she would that evening. They even stalled her appearance till the very end. She was kind of the piece de resistance of that show. So I, I don't see how the Kennedys would um, have a negative reaction to something that they were aware of and were even um, uh, asking for in terms of a command performance. So, so again, you know, the, a lot of the, you know, the the thing that I had the biggest issue with the show isn't even so much what they were saying, although that was the challenge as well. But it was how they 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 staged it, um, already assuming that there was a rumor. So, if you're really looking at the evidence. You know, there was absolutely, you know, when you look at what Mary Jane said, 81 errors, 81 errors in a one hour show, basically making the same stuff out there. And I'm not saying, you know, who knows if some of it is true, some of it isn't. But look at what we're already proving that isn't. We already know what is true. So even if you came out from that aspect of it, but what happens is they, 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 they'll mix a little bit of what we do know to be true to stuff that isn't, and that becomes a convoluted, again, show. So I want to move on because we don't have a lot of time, um, and I really want to get to you know what we did accomplish this season, especially in the 1982 DA report. You get the drift in terms of the A.J. Bensa. If you want to watch shows like that, just guys just be just scrutinize what it is you're hearing and ask yourself is this the truth not just with Marilyn Monroe but everything in life you know especially in the in this day and age of media so you know Leslie let's start with you in the in the DA report what do you think some of the takeaways are um, well, one of the biggest things about the DA report is that we have multiple experts across the board agreeing that there is no evidence of foul play in her death and that she absolutely did, um, and it's that the evidence shows that it was um, ingested orally and that there is no evidence to show that there was any other means of administering the medication. So you have Dr. Stevens, who is the chief medical examiner and coroner in San Francisco. Um, you had Dr. Kornbloom, the LA coroner. You had um, Robert Cravey, who was a, a coroner at the office of the sheriff in Santa Ana, California. And, of course, you have Dr. Noguchi as well, all agreeing that their, everything that was found in the autopsy was consistent across the board with oral ingestion. So that was a huge takeaway for me that you have all of these experts and they're all agreeing. Yeah, and that was the other thing that they insinuated also, too, is that, you know, that she couldn't have digested them. We already have gone through several shows recapping it over and over and over again. And the reason why we did that is so people can start to see that really the pathology starts to make sense. It's not just, oh, my gosh, she didn't have crystals in her stomach. And how many times do we hear that? Or she was injected, Uh, you know. So, Gary, what are some of your takeaways? Well, going, going back to the culpability, you know, uh, we, were, we were able to determine that there were 900 pills prescribed in a 60-day period by Hyman Engelberg, and he prescribed the chloral hydrate, which he had denied, and we, we also unearthed photographs of the bottle and the prescription that, that he wrote for her. We know now that, that chloral hydrate and Nembutal were contraindicated. They were a deadly combination. Uh, we talked about likely an addictive process that was going on for Marilyn, and um, that was also clouding her judgment. And we, we also know from Robert Littman, who is part of the suicide prevention team, that um, Dr. Siegel and Dr. Engelberg were very vague in their responses to questions about 
them prescribing the, the drugs that actually killed her. And Littman's testimony also clarified to us that Greenson was very concerned about Marilyn that night when, when he left her. Yeah, and then um, April, if you're on the line with us too, I'd like to to also talk a little bit about Lionel Grandison because that was one of the things that we also learned about. I think the yeah. biggest thing for me was um, I'm glad that you brought up Grandison was just that we know he was really nothing more than a pencil pusher, and that him signing off on the death certificate wasn't anything like unusual for him, or um, really that his opinion wouldn't have been taken into consideration. He just had to sign off because that was his job. And um, I think the 82 investigation was great because it did just people like Grandison Slats or um, James Hall. It just went to the list and disproved everyone that we've been hearing for, you know, 30 years. All right. And then, Mary Jane, what are some of your takeaways that you think that we've also learned from this season? Uh, my favorite parts of the DA report were just that it bolstered some of these uh, rumors that have been going around for years with, with more evidence because they did look very thoroughly into many of them, such as the, the diary or the house being wired. Um, and they, they, they did a very thorough investigation and really proved conclusively that these were just not true. And, you know, seeing how James Hall was attempting to uh, extort police officers, like, oh, I know stuff, but you got to pay me $50,000 for me to tell you, it just make it, it adds more to saying this person is not credible and i think the da report covers that so well well i think also you know one of the things and i'm glad you brought up the red diary because that's another rumor and i'm all for if you have any evidence of the red diary i'm going to say this again i probably have said this probably 15 times since we started doing this this show if anybody has any access to the red diary uh that is not anything more than a book of poems which we know that actor ted i think ted jordan from the da report finally came forward in the report and said you know after they uncovered that he said he had a red diary and then he realized that he had a book of poems of Marilyn, which probably is the book fragments that has already been published is that come forward come forward i can't tell you how many people still email me and tell me that they have this information that information and yet when i ask them to come forward they can't they can't come forward with anything so i think that the clear picture today is i want you guys to know this that the red diary is an absolute rumor okay uh, and uh, Leslie, do you have anything uh, that, more that you want to add in terms of the DA report? Because there's some really interesting things that we did find out. Yeah, um, well, the DA report, <clears throat> um, uh, in addition to all of the pathology, um, also covered a lot of what was going on in terms of her prescribing. Um, we um, have learned that Dr. Siegel was also involved in the in the prescribing, um, and so I, I found that that was really important to know that there was may have been other doctors who were bringing in pills, um, and they did try very hard to track the um, all of the pills and the prescriptions and outline what all she had access to and what was available. Um, and one of the questions that it left a little bit was that question of what Dr. Siegel had prescribed and what um, Dr. Engelberg had prescribed. Um, and I think that's going to be something going forward that uh, hopefully we can come up with a little more um, evidence to find out where exactly those prescriptions came from. So yeah, for me, that was a big takeaway from the DA report. 
Yeah, and I want to get to that too, is what else do we have left to to still un- uncover? But one of the other things that we uncovered, two things that I want to mention, one of them is there is no evidence, although Michael Selzman said this on air, and we told him this last week, there was and is no evidence of abortion six weeks before her death. Uh, Gary, do you want to allude to that one more time as well? Oh, yes. We confronted him on that as well. But but we know by the medical experts that we consulted with in looking at the autopsy report and the thorough investigation of the reproductive organs that there there was no evidence that there could have been any recent um, a pregnancy and uh, certainly no evidence of um, a, a recent abortion. So that okay. was very clear in the autopsy report. Exactly, exactly. And Mary Jane, uh, what else do you have to add here, too? Well, in regards to that, um, for the proof that what Mr. Salzman was saying is incorrect, is Marilyn had what's known as a corpus luteum cyst on her ovary. Um, the corpus luteum is, is basically it's, it's a follicle that forms after ovulation, and um, it would be there within two weeks after having her period, and you don't get your period for six to eight weeks after having an abortion. So because we know she ovulated and had her menstrual cycle, she did not have an abortion prior to her death. All right. And so um, does anybody want to add anything other um, in terms of the, the DA report? Because the one big thing that I want to talk about, and I think this is a really important one, is the time of death. <laughs> So anybody well, would, add yeah, that I would add that, you know, I think we went a step further um, than the DA report did. And we did some really uh, digging down into borderline personality disorder and how that can suggest a, a desire to impulsively end emotional pain or a, possibly a borderline crisis involving Marilyn impulsively overdosing, maybe with an attempt for uh, an intent for rescue. Um, we also looked at uh, the mood disorder or, or bipolar disorder, which she possibly had. So whatever speculation that, that we were um, offering, it was based upon uh, mental health issues that we believed that, that she had. Um, and we also looked at an addiction to meds, suggesting that she might have had a very high tolerance and that her overdose might have been also due to her threshold for the meds being quite high. Uh, maybe she took uh, an amount to sleep that would have been f- uh, fatal for other people with lower tolerances. So I think we, we took this a little bit step uh, a step further. And what, Leslie, did we determine, and Mary Jane and April, if you want to, but Leslie, you were going to jump in, in terms of her time of death. Right. I was going to say that, again, all of those experts all agreed that it was a slow death process. It was not quick, which tells us that it was um, there was time for the drugs to absorb into her system. And based on that, when we were able to talk to Dr. Cyril Wett, um, we were able to determine a pretty clear time of death um, that puts her death actually after midnight, which was uh, kind of a big shocker, I think, in this season, um, because previously most people had believed that she had passed away prior to midnight. And, um, you know, Dr. Wett's determination of the time of death based on a liver temperature uh, really agreed with the slow death process that Dr. Stevens talks about in the DA report and kind of nails down for us um, a lot of what can and cannot be plausible based on when we believe she actually passed away, which at this point, you know, lands in the in around the one o'clock to two o'clock hour in the early morning hours of, of August 5th. So one of the things I think we have to keep in mind when you're breaking this down for yourself is that Marilyn did not die quickly. So if you, regardless of what you think, 
we do know through the pathology that she did not die quickly. It wasn't somebody like injected her, gave her an enema, and then she just died. She didn't die that way. So that is known that, you know, as I said, science doesn't lie. That's one thing that we are and we have found found out. April, did you want to add anything uh, in this as well? Um, I was just going to say, I know that the suicide prevention team had originally put her death at around 12.50 a.m., and I think it's interesting that um, Cyril Weck put, you know, included that time as, you know, the very earliest that she could have passed away. So it just shows that the truth does come out, and it had come out in 62, and it, now we're rediscovering it. So, so let's, you know, unless there's something else that we want to bring uh, to the table, um, I, I really want to get to also what we yet have to address. What are some of the things that we do have to address? Uh, Gary, you had some things as well. Well, the DA report um, went into uh, detail about Marilyn's phone records, and we never had an opportunity to explore that. Um, we also, they also really investigated the belief that neighbors had seen Robert Kennedy at her house that day. Um, there was a, a, a rule out of survive, surveillance and the claims that equipment related to surveillance had been found in the home many years later. And I wish we had had more time to uh, walk the audience through all of the investigation and testimony related to those claims. Yeah, and there's a lot more to uncover as as we get on with this investigation and get to our next step because, as you know, we've, we've got access to some, some information that we need to still explore and see how that fits in. Um, uh, uh, Mary Jane, is there anything you want to add into stuff that we still need to uncover? Um, I really I concur with Gary on, on stuff we would still uh, need to discuss that was in the DA report. And I think for um, our purposes, the most important piece of documentation we can get our hands on is the suicide prevention team report, because I think there's going to be an awful lot of information in there. All right. And Leslie? Um, yeah, as I mentioned previously, a, a big thing for me is going to be tracking the prescriptions and trying to get a really solid handle on who wrote what and when. All right. And you know what my plight is, is to prove or disprove once and for all whether or not Bobby Kennedy was in town in L.A. that day. And I said, just because I'm saying that doesn't mean that I think that she killed her or that he killed her. So, April, um, what is your uh, your next step that you really would like to see uh, that we still haven't explored? You know, I agree with what everyone has said. Um, my main thing is just getting this out to everybody so that they can see what the truth is. So, you know, what I'm going to say to you uh, before we kind of finish up uh, this season and, and uh, you know, this show, we've been able to dispel quite a bit. And there's still a lot of parts that need to be connected. And I think when we do the real life investigation and actually connect the visual parts to this, it'll it'll start to make more sense for people. And that's why we've, you know, reiterated some of the things that we found out. I'm going to suggest for all you Maryland fans that are out there that you go ahead and share now that season three is is complete that you share this radio show with other people because we are not just re-educating the Maryland fans a lot of Maryland fans you know have specific uh, feelings of what they believe and don't believe but the majority of the public 
believe all the rumors. And I think this is bigger than Maryland. We live in a very viral time in our life where things go around in the world in, in seconds. And we, you know, it can destroy, it can hurt, it can enhance, it can inspire. And it all depends on what's the truth and what isn't. So I'm just going to ask you guys to all do that. And, and the other thing I want to do is go around and, uh, you know, one of the things that Marilyn would say, and we heard it in last week's show, is that when she would get nervous or she'd be on stage, she would say to somebody, you know, say a good thought for me. So Leslie, we'll start with you. What is your good thought that you'd like to have the public know about Marilyn? My good thought for Marilyn has always been, and I, hopefully that's what we're doing here, that one day we can lay rumors to rest and that she can be remembered as a sensitive human being and as an actress and not just for her death. Great. And Mary Jane? Uh, my good thought for Marilyn is that more people will see beyond, you know, a skirt flying up or a supposed affair and get to know who she was as a person and take her seriously as she so wanted to be taken seriously. And how about April? My good thought for Marilyn, um, I actually had interviewed um, Professor uh, Dr. Timothy Bywater, and he said that he believed that Marilyn was remar- Marilyn, uh, Marilyn's legacy was remembered for the wrong reasons, and I agree with him. And I hope that one day she can be remembered for her career and for her charity work and for all the good deeds that she did. Beautiful. And Gary? Oh, I really wish the media would be more respectful to Marilyn's legacy and focus on her film career and her resilience so that she can continue to inspire young people that, you know, if you work hard like she did, you can overcome so many obstacles and achieve your dreams. And my very beautiful thought for for Marilyn and the Marilyn community and the public at large, that we really do honor this woman not star, but woman and human being by really looking at her life and the truth and let that not only inspire her for all the beautiful things that she's done in terms of being the movie star and the glamorous part, but really the human being that touched so many people's lives and really can inspire people for not only achieving but working through the mental illnesses that she she might have had and to inspire people to be all that they can be and really work through to the other side, turning tragedy into transformation. So you just heard from the panel of investigators talking about the investigation into Marilyn's death. But in this upcoming series, This will be quite a different take on Marilyn as it's a narrative and an acting podcast. The investigation of her death is only just a small part of the entire life of Marilyn. So Gary, what do you want us to get out of this new podcast? Well, speculation about Marilyn's death overlooks her remarkable life story. And so we're going to focus on her life story. We're going to go back in time to her childhood, to her family of origin. And we're also using temporal shifting. So an episode might begin with a later part of Marilyn's life, which may be very familiar to the audience. But then it will transition to an earlier part of her life, which might be uh, unknown to the audience. 
Well, I think it's going to be really quite different than anybody else has ever heard before on her life or her death for that matter. But so on that note, uh, I know that Marilyn would say something right before she went on to perform or she was getting off the phone or telling somebody something. What would she say to people? She'd always say, please hold a good thought. So on that note, stay tuned for the new episode, the new series, Marilyn Behind the Icon.